0: Amen. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, please. And then we'll be going over to Hebrews chapter 4 if you want to get a head start on it as well. I want to um, uh, speak to you tonight on the power of the Word. Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church at, uh, at Rome. And uh, he makes an astounding statement. It's, um, it's really Christianity 101. I mean, it's one of the foundation truths of uh, Scripture that, that unfortunately too many Christians both then and now, fail to um, understand and therefore take advantage of. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, what is the gospel of Christ? Let's stop right there. Uh, You know, we have uh, catchphrases in the church and, and our own way of speaking, and we talk about people going to preach the gospel. What do they mean when they say that? Usually people, when they talk about preaching the gospel, are talking about preaching that Jesus was crucified. That he died for people's man's sins, mankind's sins, and that's certainly true. But the gospel of Christ goes a lot further than that. At least Paul, who said that the gospel that he received wasn't given unto him by man, but by direct, uh, directly from the Holy Ghost, he told us a lot more than uh, than just Jesus dying for our sins. He told us who we are in Christ. He told us how to access the things of God. He told us how to walk in victory. He told us a lot of things. All of them relative to the victory that Jesus gained for us by going to the cross and being raised from the dead but the gospel of Christ means a lot more than Jesus paying the price for sins it means Jesus redeeming mankind now redemption or uh, I should say uh, his, uh, the price that he paid and the penalty that he paid for sins is certainly part of redemption but redemption goes a lot more goes uh, a lot further than just what some people would call forgiveness of sins In uh, in literal terms Jesus did not forgive your sins. Jesus remitted your sins. The difference is forgiveness is a covering over. Remission is a doing away with. Jesus died for the remission of sins, the removal of sins, not just forgiveness. God doesn't look at you and say, well, that's okay. I forgive you. No, he made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, he makes you a new creature. You're not the same person you used to be. You're a new person on the inside. You look the same from the outside and you may even act the same for a while until the word starts taking effect in your life. But you're not the same person. Big difference. Big difference. And Paul's talking about this very thing here in verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the victory that Jesus gained for us by redeeming mankind from the law of sin and death. Sin, sickness, poverty, and everything else that's of the devil. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We might even say that it's the Word of God. I'm not ashamed of the Word of God because the Word of God contains all that uh, that we have record of and all that we have knowledge of that Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Those would be the same things. Those would be synonymous terms. I'm not ashamed of the Word of God. Why? For it, the Word of God, the good news about what Jesus did in redeeming mankind from the law of sin and death, destroying the works of the devil for all of mankind if we'll just take advantage of it and take hold of it, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the word, the good news of what Jesus has done is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. Now, again, we've got our own way of talking, that meaning the church world. And so many times, I guess almost every time, salvation is spoken of. People are talking about asking Jesus into your heart. And certainly that's a part of the work that we do and the finished work of Jesus is all for us to ask Jesus into our heart or make Jesus the Lord of our lives no no doubting that no no diminishing that in any way, but this word salvation means more than just asking Jesus into your heart. You look up this word in the um, the original Greek, and you'll find out it means a variety of things uh, schofield Dr. Schofield has in his Bible with uh, the notes that he prepared over the many years of uh, of his ministry. If you don 't know who Dr. Schofield is or was. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But Dr. Schofield was one of the leading, I guess in his day, the leading Bible scholar for uh, the fundamentalist denominations, particularly the Southern Baptists. He was very widely known. He's very widely read, both during his lifetime and then after his death. He was considered the go-to guy for whoever's supposed to know. And he said, in his footnote of uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, the concept of salvation includes... The ideas, the understanding of rescue, deliverance, safety, soundness, and healing now folks I got to tell you I grew up Southern Baptist that's pretty good for a Southern Baptist theologian. They didn't preach that in my church, but he understood that the word that's used here for salvation, the word that's translated salvation is not just talking about forgiveness or even remission of sins it's talking about it's the power of God. To rescue you. It's the power of God to deliver you. It's the power of God to set you free. It's the power of God to heal you. It's the power of God for anything and everything you'll ever need. Now, what is the power of God for those things? Paul said it's the Word. The good news that Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil over you and over me because we've received his sacrifice and received him as our personal Savior. Now we've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. He said the Word of God. Is God's power. He didn't say the word of God. Will tell you about God's power. He didn't say the word of God. Will bring God's power. He said the word of God. Is God's power. To set you free. To rescue you. To deliver you. To make you safe. To make you sound. And to heal you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it. The word. Is the gospel. Is the power of God. unto salvation. All five of those meanings. To everyone that believeth. To everyone that believeth, to everyone that believeth, to everyone that believeth. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you be saved in the the way that we talk about salvation? Can you make Jesus the Lord of your life? Can you be a child of God and not believe in deliverance? Sure. You may have been delivered from sin. You may have been delivered from uh, the, the path that you were on that was headed to hell. Would have taken you to hell if you hadn't made Jesus the Lord of your life. But That doesn't mean you have to believe in deliverance. Doesn't mean you have to believe in deliverance here on the earth. Can you be saved? Can you be a child of God and not believe in healing? Well, yeah, we all know a lot of those. But nevertheless, it doesn't change the fact that the word of God is God's power to heal. Now, who's it the power of God to heal? Who will it heal? To everyone that believes. Everyone that believes. See, you've got to actively take hold of every aspect of the meaning, the fullness of the meaning of this word salvation, the word translated salvation. You've got to take hold of every aspect of the meanings of those words in order for it to work for you. You've got to believe in all of it, if all of it's going to be yours. He said to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, we don't think too much of Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles. Greeks is is uh, the way that they spoke of Gentiles in those days. But that was a big deal because of the the makeup of the church in the day that Paul was ministering. Literally, he's saying the word of God is the power of God that will save you, make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. It'll rescue you from whatever the enemy is trying to do in your life. It'll deliver you. It'll make you safe. It'll make you sound and it'll heal you if you'll only believe. Now, notice he goes on in verse 17. He says, for therein, wherein? What's he talking about therein for in the word of God the gospel of Christ for therein is the righteousness of God revealed is the righteousness of God revealed now folks I want to remind you he's writing to the church he's writing to people that have been made righteous because they've been born again he's not saying that the word of God will bring you into righteousness that's already happened for them he's saying the word of God will reveal who they really are now that they've been made righteous. Therein is, the word, uh, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Notice it says from faith to faith. As we grow in faith, in other words. As we grow in faith. Now what causes you to grow in faith? The knowledge of the word and experience. Those are the two elements that, that bring about growth or spiritual development in the area of faith. Knowledge of the word and experience. Those are the two things that the Bible says will cause you to grow in faith. Knowledge of the word Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, and experience. You, the Bible talks about adding experience to your faith. King James uses the word virtue. It's the word experience, adding experience to your faith. Why is experience necessary for faith? Because we have to learn for ourselves outside of just the theory or the understanding of here are the principles of faith. We need a testimony. Here's how we've made it work for us because here's how we know now that God is on our side. Amen. For therein in the word of God is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Even as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith is intended to be a lifestyle. Now what lifestyle is he talking about? He's talking about the lifestyle of applying the word of God in your life in any and every area that you have need. He's not talking about just applying the word of God to get saved or to come into the family of God. He's talking about applying the word of God in any and every aspect of your life according to the need that you have because of the way the devil's trying to attack you or bring difficulty into your your experience. Now turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The fourth chapter of Hebrews. I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. There's... um, some disagreement on that. Most Bible scholars, I, I, I think I'm safe in saying, most Bible scholars agree that Paul was the author, but uh, but not everybody. And it's not important that you believe that he was or or wasn't, but it just makes it easier for me to uh, to recognize that the same guy that wrote to the Romans is the guy that wrote to the Jews in a book titled um, that carries the title of the Hebrews. Now, whoever wrote the the book of Hebrews, the letter to the to the Jewish believers. Um, he talks a lot about Jewish history. It's the only book that he really does speak about Jewish history to any degree whatsoever. And in chapter 3, he talks about how that the Jews came to the edge of the promised land and through unbelief, they wound up dying in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and not going in until 40 years later. Now, 40 years later, Joshua leads in a new generation, not the same ones that refused to go in 40 years before. That generation died off. And so Paul is talking about certain things in chapter 4 that are relative to, relating to that, uh, that story, that, uh, that historical event. So let's start reading in verse 1. He said, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Another way of tying that into what he was talking about in chapter 3, he said, Don't be like those people in, in uh, the history of Israel don't you and I make sure that you and I take special care so that we don't act like they did. We don't want to hear the word of God and reject it and fail to enter into the promise, the fullness of the promise. Now that's what he's talking about, entering into his rest. The rest was the promised land. Entering into the rest in, uh, in the, the historical event that he refers to is entering into the promised land. And the generation that refused to believe the word when they first came To the edge of the promised land. When the twelve spies went in. And ten of them came back with an evil report. Those did not enter into his rest. And he spent some time talking about that in chapter 4. But the rest. For you and me. Would be anything that the word of God promises. It would literally be. The result. Of the word of God and the promise thereof. For example. The rest that you would enter into. Concerning a promise of healing. Would be the healing itself. Are you with me? Because anything and everything that Jesus has accomplished for us, that the word of God tells us belongs to us, is a part of our promised land. We don't have a promised land that's on the other side of the Jordan River. We have a promised land that's on the other side of making Jesus the Lord of our lives. Amen? Do you understand the analogy that he's using here? So he says, let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of us. For unto us was the gospel priest. Now, if Paul is the, is the author of both of these letters. We know that when he's talking about the gospel being preached, he's talking about the power of the word. He's talking about the word of God, which is the power of God. For unto us was the gospel priest, as well as unto them, but the word priest did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it they failed to enter into the fullness of the promise or they failed to get the result of what God promised because they refused to believe. They didn't mix faith with it with what they heard. For we which have believed, those which are in faith, we which have believed do enter into his rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath if they shall enter into my if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What he's literally saying is after they rejected, after the ten spies convinced the rest of the congregation that, the, that they couldn't enter into the promised land, God said, they will not enter into my rest. In other words, the principle, of God's, uh, the principle of God's operation is simply this, and God never changes. He refuses to give you the answer. He gives you the result unless you believe. Now, you can think anything you want to about that. You can think that God's being hard-nosed about it or whatever, but faith is what he requires to receive. It's a requirement. It's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. And so Moses is saying, or uh, Paul is saying, even as Moses delivered the information to the people, that God said to Moses, and he delivered that message to the people, they shall not enter into my rest. They won't enter into the promised land because they refused to believe, because they rejected. God said, I swear by myself because I can swear by none greater, they will not enter in. And Paul is saying the very same thing. He's talking about the same principle. He's saying, let's don't us be like that. Let's don't reject anything. Now, the fact is, the Jews, in the early days of the church, the Jews were rejecting a lot of what Jesus had provided for us. Because they were all caught up in the Jewish um, law of Moses activities as opposed to the Gentiles coming in and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And so Paul is writing to them specifically about things that they're involved in. We don't have that experience too much today, so we don't understand the, the context of what he's saying. But literally what he's saying is, is, is summarized in this. If you refuse to believe, no matter who you are, no matter whether you think you're God's favorite or not, if you refuse to believe, you will not receive the promise. And that's what he's saying. We which have believed do enter into his rest. Now how are we able to enter into his rest? Because the works are finished. The work of Jesus is finished. Just like when God said, I have given you the promised land. Back the first time when Moses led the children of Israel there. And the, 10, the 12 spies went into the promised land. The work was already finished. They were going to have to still go in. But God said, I have given you this land. So as far as God was concerned, it was a finished work. As far as God's concerned for your rescue, deliverance, safety, and soundness, and healing... It's a finished work. So all you have to do is believe. But you do have to believe. Now skip with me down to verse 12. I've started in the first part of the chapter because that sets the, the, the stage for what Paul says. Well, actually, let's back up a little bit. And uh, let's start in verse 10. For he that has entered into his rest, he the believer that has entered into Jesus' rest, he the believer also has ceased from his own works. Just like Jesus has ceased from his, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, we're supposed to cease from our own works. In other words, it's not by works, it's simply by belief, by faith. He he the believer that has entered into Jesus' rest, the believer also has ceased from his works, as God did from his, let us labor. Here's our work. Our work is a work of faith. It's not a physical work. It's not a trying to make God like us or or do something good for us. It's a work of faith. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. It's the same thing as Paul was saying, wrote to other uh, believers, wrote to Timothy. He said, fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. It's a labor. It's a work. But that's the only work that we have. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, for, because, here's why we can labor into, to enter into that rest, here's how we can cease from our own works, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Wayman's translation says, full of life and power. Full of life and power. Here's the reason he says you can rest. He said, here's the foundation for your belief, here's the reason why you can relax, take it easy, And just believe. Now what do we know about believing? Well we know that believing is expressed through our words. Jesus said. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not die in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith Shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith." That's how you get saved. You believe the word of God about Jesus being raised from the dead. Going to the cross and being raised from the dead. And you confess him as your Lord and Savior. You used words to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the principle of faith. So here where he says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into his rest. For the word of God is quick and powerful, full of life and power. He's simply saying that the process of faith is to rely on God's finished work through Jesus and make our confession accordingly. How are we able to do that? Because there's abundant power in the word. Because there's abundant power in the word. This is one of the scriptures and there are many. But this is one of the scriptures that caused me to believe that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews. Because Paul's the only one that told us. James didn't tell us. He said similar things. But he didn't come out and say it in the same form as, uh, as Paul did. John didn't write it to us. Peter didn't write it to us. They all said similar things. It's not like they contradicted it. But Paul came out very specifically to the Romans as well as to the Hebrews. And said the word of God is the power of God. I wonder how Paul learned that. He learned that through experience, folks. Paul's living his life in front of us. He's telling us what he's learned. He's telling us the, 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 uh, uh, the knowledge, the maturity that he's gained by putting this word in practice. He said the word of God is full of life and power. Full of life and power. Full of life and power. What does full mean? If something's full, that means there's no room for anything else, isn't it? If it's full of life and power, then that means it is an ample and abundant supply. It's an ample and abundant source. There's no lack. There's no shortage. It's full of all the power that you'll ever need. Now, why am I hammering on this? Because the devil always tells you that you need something else. He'll always try to make you think, well, you're doing all right. What you're doing is good, but you know as well as I do that you need something more. It's going to take more than just your confession. Well, not if you're confessing the word. And that's the labor. The labor to enter into his rest is the labor to come to the place where you realize, look, this is a finished work. This is a done deal. Now, notice the examples that Paul uses about the word of God being full of life and power. For the word of God is quick and powerful, full of life and power, as Wayman's translation says, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of asunder. Notice what Paul is saying. He's saying the word has to be sharp to divide things. The word has to be powerful. The word has to be sharp like a sword to divide things. Why is dividing things relative to power? Because that's how you labor to enter into his rest. If you don't divide between man's thinking and God's thinking, if you don't divide between the words of the devil and the words of God, if you don't divide between the things that will try to lead you out of, the the fight of the enemy, the the hindrances of the enemy, to try to keep you fighting ineffectively, then you'll never enter into that rest. You'll never have the victory. So he said, the word of God is quick and powerful, full of life and power, And sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder, meaning dividing between. When you divide something asunder, it means you cut something in two pieces. Dividing asunder, notice what he said it divides. It divides between soul and spirit. Where does the devil attack you? In your soul. Where's the faith fight? It's in your soul. How do you enter into his rest? You operate out of your spirit instead of out of your soul. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. What are joints and marrow uh, referring to? What do they illustrate? Well, a joint's a physical thing, isn't it? It's part of the flesh. What about the marrow? The marrow is the unseen part of the flesh that brings life to the flesh. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the flesh, the seen, and the unseen. Why is that? Because doesn't the devil try to get you looking at things that you can see with your natural eye? Doesn't the devil try to get you looking away from the truth of the word, the unseen things? Paul's the one that wrote to us and said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, does work for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He goes on to say, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. So Paul knows that it's important. He knows the fight of faith is about keeping your eyes on unseen things. What unseen things are we supposed to look at? The truth of the word. Because the promises of the word are unseen to our natural eye. Oh, we can see the words on a page, all right. But if we're going to see ourselves with the answer, if we're going to see ourselves with the healing that God's word promises, we're going to have to see that on the inside. Until it shows up on the outside. Right? So, what do we have to divide between? We have to divide between soul and spirit. We have to divide between man's way of thinking, which the devil tries to influence because he's the God of this world, and God's way of thinking. God's way of thinking, which is part of our heart. We have to divide between, we have to divide by the Word of God between the flesh, the physical realm, and that which brings life to the flesh. Which is the spirit realm. Next example he uses. And is a discerner. Of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What does he mean the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is the only thing that will be able to divide between your thoughts. And God's wisdom in your heart. You ever notice that Jesus. uh, Well Paul wrote this. to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. He said Christ is made unto you wisdom sanctification, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The Bible says that Jesus has already been made unto you wisdom. That means every wisdom that you'll ever need is resident on the inside of you. When James wrote to the church in chapter 1 of the letter that he wrote, he said if any of you lack wisdom, he's talking about wisdom in the problem, the trouble, and the adversity that you're in. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Why do you have to ask of God? Well, it puts a focus on what we're desiring to receive. It puts our faith in action. But where does the wisdom that God gives you come from? Inside. God doesn't speak to you from heaven. He doesn't speak a booming voice and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At least he's never done me like that. If you have, you'll have to instruct us on how that works. Where does the wisdom come from? It comes from inside and it comes from the word. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost will guide you into all truth. How does he guide you into all truth? From your heart, from your spirit. He doesn't guide you into all truth by showing you a horoscope. He did not guide you into all truth by showing you, you know, be sure and turn into Oprah, she'll have good news for you today. He guides you into all truth from within. That means if he guides you into all truth, he's going to guide you into all truth concerning your healing. If finances is the area that you have need, he's going to guide you on all truth where finances are concerned. He'll guide you in whatever area you put a demand on him to guide you. But where does that guidance come from? It doesn't come from outside. It comes from within. The Holy Ghost, from your heart, from your spirit, where God lives, will bring guidance to your mind. Are you with me? So notice the examples that Paul uses about the Word of God being powerful. The Word of God is quick and powerful, full of life and power, and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between things. Dividing between things. Notice the power of God is in how you divide things. Your healing, the power for healing, is in how you divide things. What are we supposed to divide? Well, first of all, we're supposed to divide between soul and spirit man's way of thinking or the devil's influence on man's thinking and the truth of God's word in our heart. Second thing we're supposed to divide is between joints and marrow, the flesh and that which gives life to the flesh, which is the word of God. The third thing we're supposed to divide between are the thoughts, where thoughts come from, thoughts are in the mind. And the intents of the heart. Well what are the intents of the heart? What does that mean the intents of the heart? Well it's talking about that understanding that we have within our spirits. Now turn with me over to to, um, Isaiah 55. Let's put this in some kind of little context here from the Old Testament. What God said. Isaiah 55. We'll start reading in verse 8. God said, writing to his people, he said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, is he saying, there's a real difference between me, God, sitting up here in heaven, and you, people, down there on the earth. I think higher than you think. My ways are different than the ways you work. And so, too bad for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying since my thoughts are different than your thoughts. Learn to think my thoughts. Since my ways are higher than your ways. Learn to operate according to my ways. That's why he gives a description of his thoughts and his ways. He's not just saying I'm God you're not. That's pretty obvious. Did we really need him to tell us that? No he's saying you need to learn to think my thoughts. And you need to learn to operate according to my ways. Now, notice what he says. He uses an example. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than or higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, he's going to give us a natural illustration. For as the rain comes down and the snow comes from heaven and returns not there. Well, now, folks, if you know anything about the water cycle here on the earth, rain and snow do return to heaven. It returns as it evaporates in the earth. But the point that he's making is it doesn't return until it does what it's supposed to do. It will eventually evaporate and come back into the atmosphere. But it doesn't return to, the, to heaven until it accomplishes what it was supposed to do first. For as the snow, rain comes down and the snow comes from heaven and returns not thither but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may br- give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. In other words, he's saying, my word is exactly the way, works exactly the same way as rain and snow come down from heaven. Now, why is he talking about his word? Why does he give us the example of the water cycle? Why is he talking about his word? Because he's just told us to think his thoughts. What are God's thoughts? God's word. How are we going to learn God's ways? Through God's word. And folks, that's the only way you can think his thoughts. Is by learning to think in line with the word. That's the only way that you can operate according to his ways. Is by learning to operate according to what the word says to do. That's why the word divides between soul and spirit. It divides between man's thinking. And the influence of the devil upon man's thinking. And the spirit of God. And remember, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's John six sixty three. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Remember also, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, when the devil came and tempted him to turn the stones into bread, after he'd been fasting for 40 days, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying, just like food equips your physical body, the word of God equips your spirit. Just as food feeds your body, nourishes your body, the word of God is the only thing that can nourish or feed or fit your spirit. It's the only thing. you deprive I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care how much you love God. If you divide de, de, if you uh, deny your body, I'm sorry, if you deny your spirit, spirit, food, you're not going to grow and be healthy. I know I butchered that up. But I hope I got the point across. F. F. Bosworth used to say. People will feed their bodies. Three hot meals a day. And feed their spirit one cold snack a week. And then wonder why they're so weak in faith. The same thing that food does for the natural the human body. The word of God does for the spirit of man. That's what Jesus. Is, or that's what the Holy Ghost is saying here. Through Isaiah. He said, so, so shall my word be. The word's going to operate the same way as the, the rain and the snow. Now, what do we know about where the word comes from then? It comes from heaven. So shall my word be, which goeth forth out of my mouth. How does it come from heaven? God speaks it. Then what does it do? It says, it shall not return unto me void. Now, this goes back to the, the phrase that he said, and returneth not thither. When he talks about the snow and the and the rain. He said, So as the the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there. Well, we know it does return. The water cycle teaches us that rain and snow returns. Water vapor returns as it evaporates. But not before it does something first. That's the same picture that he's painting here. So shall my word be which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Now, it's going to return unto the Father. It's supposed to return unto the Father just like the water cycle does. Just like water vapor evaporates from the earth and goes back into the atmosphere to be used again. But not before it does something first. So what does it mean? So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. Void of what? Well, notice the next thing he says. But that it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So God intends for it to accomplish something and to prosper or be successful. Now what's it supposed to accomplish? It's supposed to accomplish what God pleases. How do we know what God's word will how do we know how God's word pleases him? His word produces according to what he said. It pleases God for his word to bear fruit in your lives and in my life. It pleases him for the word to produce the results that he said. Same thing about the word of God will prosper. In the thing whereto he sent it, see every scripture is designed for something. God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't put filler scriptures in the Bible. Every scripture has an, has a purpose. Some scriptures are healing scriptures. Some scriptures are prosperity scriptures. Some scriptures are victory scriptures. Some scriptures are salvation scriptures, redemption scriptures, and so forth. You could identify and categorize every scripture in the Bible. Start to finish. And every scripture is supposed to accomplish something. It was spoken for a specific purpose. Now some scriptures may be historical. Some scriptures are are given to us to accomplish our understanding of the history of God's dealing with man. So that we can understand how he works. But every scripture is supposed to accomplish something. Now, what determines whether, uh, whether or not it will accomplish what it was supposed to do? You're receiving of it. The gospel, Paul said, as we started off in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God unto salvation, rescue, deliver, safety, soundness, and healing to everyone that believeth. So what are we supposed to do with the word? We're supposed to believe it. We're supposed to believe it. What does believing mean? Accept it as truth, hear it, accept it as truth, and speak it. Speak it. I don't know why that's such a hard concept for us human beings to get a hold of, but you're supposed to speak God's word for it to work for you. That doesn't mean cherry pick the ones you like and say those. It means speak what God says about you. The difference between hearing the word and and owning the word, having the word as a part of you, is what you're saying. Just because the Bible says that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, doesn't mean you're going to walk in righteousness. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've been made righteous. But in order to walk in that righteousness, you're going to have to start saying that you're righteous. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I don't feel righteous. That's why you need to say it. You never will feel righteous. Unless you start saying. it, In the same way. A lot of people won't speak healing scriptures. Because they say but I'm not well. And you never will be well. Until you start saying. them. Are you with me? So shall my word be. Just like the water that comes down from heaven. So shall my word be. That goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Void of what? Void of the power. That's necessary to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish, intended for it to accomplish, and prosper in the thing that he sent it to do. It shall not return unto me void. It shall not return unto me void. Another translation says empty. It shall not return unto me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I sent it to do, or accomplish that which I please, and prosper in the thing which I sent it to do why verse 12 for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace how are you going to go out with joy and be led forth with peace by speaking god's word by speaking god's word how does the word of god return to god we know how it comes to us he's very clear about saying my word is just like the rain and the snow it comes down from heaven out of my mouth how does it return to god out of your mouth And it says that it will not return void, meaning void of power, but it will accomplish something. It'll prosper in the area that it was sent. How does it accomplish something? How does it prosper in what God sent it to do? How does it return to God not void of power? Out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. It's the only way God's word can return. Just like the water vapor. The water cycle it comes from heaven, waters the earth, evaporates from the earth and goes back up into heaven. God's word comes down, performs the work that it was intended to do. That work is to take root in your heart. And then as you speak it, it comes back out with power. You remember what God said? We were talking about uh, the 12 spies earlier when we were talking about Hebrews chapter 4. The 12 spies that came to the edge of the promised land, 10 of them came back with an evil report and, and convinced the congregation of Israel not to, uh, not to go into the promised land, so they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That's, in, uh, that's identified, and the story is told us in Numbers chapter 13. As a result of that story, Numbers chapter 14 tells about how God is dealing with Moses and telling Moses what to tell the people because of their rebellion. God says in Numbers chapter 14, I think it's verse 28, is that what it is? 28? In Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, God says, here's an unchanging law. He didn't establish the law that day. It's been an eternal law. It was a law before then. It was a law that is still in effect today. He said, this is an oracle of God. That, that's what that means. It means it's an unchanging law. He said, I will deal with them. Tell Moses, I will deal with them as they have spoken in my ears. What does it mean? That means the words that we speak carry the power for God to operate in our lives, either for us or against us. Now, what they said in the ears of God is, we wish we would never come out of Egypt. Well, it was too late for that. They already had. But then they said, or we wish we would just died in the wilderness. Well, it's not too late for that. And that's exactly what they did over the next 40 years. Why? Because they said it. Not because that was God's plan. God's plan was for them to enter into the promised land. God's plan for everybody, that's every Christian that's ever died sick, God's plan was for them to be well. Well, why did they die sick, Pastor Mike? These the questions I always get when people know that you preach healing, somebody will die sick, maybe somebody in the church or whatever, and the question will always be raised. Well, why did they die sick? Eventually, it comes down to one thing, and that is what they believed. How do we know what they believed? By what they say. Well, did you ever hear them making a negative confession? No, usually people are pretty careful about saying the right things around me. The question is, what did they say when they were by themselves? The question is, what did they say when they were alone with God? Now, folks, I know from experience, the devil will really get on you. The devil will try to make you feel so sorry for yourself. He'll try to make you feel so emotional about things so that you just pour out your heart to God and say, Oh, God, I don't know why this is happening. Oh, God, I just feel so weak. Oh, God, I just feel so helpless. I just don't feel like the word is working for me. I just don't feel like I'm, my healing is coming. I just don't feel like any of those things. But remember, folks, no matter how you feel or how syrupy sweet the devil tries to make things appear, it's our words that govern us. Our words don't govern us when we decide to say the right thing. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I had a friend in uh, Bible school. That used to say this. He said out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth slips. Because that's exactly what happens so many times. So many times people have tried to put on this false front. Or or it may not be a false front. They may be trying to get there. But they're trying to get themselves worked up in faith. They're trying to get themselves where they feel strong in faith. But oh then their guard is let down. And then what they really feel comes out. Don't ever let what you really feel come out of your mouth. Why? Because you're governed by your words. Don't ever let any words come out of your mouth. Except words of victory. Don't ever let any words come out of your mouth. Except words of healing. Don't let any words come out of your mouth. Except words of prosperity. Words of provision. Don't let any words ever come out of your mouth. I don't care how down you get. I don't care what bill hits you in the upside the head. I don't care what circumstance ever happens. Never let the wrong words come out of your mouth. What do you think the devil brings those circumstances to us for? To catch us off guard. So that we'll say the wrong thing. Now turn with me over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Here's the real rub. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 9. Well, back up to verse 7. Start in verse 7. Paul's writing to the church and he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What's one of the ways the Bible talks about us sowing? Through our words. He said, don't be deceived. What a man speaks is what he's going to have. Now that's not the only meaning of this verse of Scripture, but it is one of them. Four, verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh, in our context that would be speaking words of the flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption... But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Remember Paul said that the Word of God is full of life and power, dividing between words of the flesh and words from your heart. And that's the power of God. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing. Now the well-doing we're talking about in this context is speaking the right words, speaking words of faith. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if." everybody say if, if we faint not. Notice the devil's work is to try to make you faint. The word "faint here means to give up, to tire out. Now every gospel or every um, New Testament writer said something to this same effect. James said, let patience have a perfect work. Paul writing to, the, to Hebrews in chapter 10 said, cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Now why would the Bible tell you not to be weary in well-doing? Don't cast away your confidence, which has uh, great recompense of reward. He went on in chapter 10 and verse 35 to say, for you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Why would why would every gospel or every New Testament writer tell us in some form or another about the need for patience? Don't give up. Hang in there. Stay with it, and so forth. Because things don't always work as fast as we want them to, and that's part of the fight of faith. Things aren't always going to work out as fast as fast as you want them to work. I don't know about you, but I don't want every word I say to get instant results. The way I hear some Christians speak, though, man, that would be a death sentence for most folks. So things aren't going to work as often, as quickly as you want them to work in every situation. Maybe never. I'm not sure anything has ever worked as fast as I wanted it to. So what is our job? Our job is to stay steady in the meantime. Well, Pastor Mike, what does it mean? Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't stop saying what the Bible says about your healing. I don't care how tired you get. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the attack of the enemy is. I don't care what thought comes to your mind. I don't care how down you feel today. Don't let anything keep you from saying what God's word says about your healing. Ever. Ever. Yeah, but how long am I going to have to do it, Pastor Mike, until you see the answer? Well, I don't see the answer yet. Then keep doing it a little longer. keep doing it a little longer why because the word of God the gospel the word of God is the power of God to heal you yeah but I've been saying it forever well then you don't have long to go then but how long just a little longer The Bible says be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I've always wondered. I've seen some situations in, uh, over the years. I've seen situations where people have just given up. And I, I have compassion for them. I, I don't mean to, to be hard about it. And, and you know, I, I come across harder about some things than I really am, I guess. But I've seen situations where people, they just they just wore themselves out. And um, the the sickness that they were fighting, you know, I'm thinking of one situation where it was cancer. And they were in uh, chemotherapy, radiation treatments and stuff. And it just sucked the life out of them. I'm not sure that the radiation treatment wasn't worse than the disease, to be honest with you, at least in their case. And uh, and finally, they got to the place where they just said, Pastor Mike, I just quit. I just give up. And I tried to talk about it. Don't give up. Don't give up. And they said, no, I I just... I'd rather, if this is the way it's going to be, I'd rather just die. I said, don't die like this. Let God heal you and then die if you want to. But don't die like this. And I couldn't do anything. There was nothing I could do to talk them out of it. They just quit, just absolutely gave up. I can't tell you how many times I've wondered about that situation and others that I've had a little bit of experience with. I wonder how far away they were. If I quit today... And get to heaven and find out my answer was there tomorrow. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to stay in heaven. I'd be some mad I might sin. That's the thing that keeps, keeps me going. Well maybe my answer is just around the corner. I mean I know the answer is there. I know the answer is mine. It's just unseen. What if I see it tomorrow? Am I willing to give up today knowing that I could see it tomorrow? I can't. I just can't. I wonder how many people give up just before their answer shows. If that's uh, that's a common thing, if that's a frequent thing, then I well understand why the Bible says when we get to heaven, God will wipe away every tear. There'll be a lot of crying in heaven. If only I'd have kept it up. If only I'd held out. If only I'd have been patient. If only I had not been weary in well-doing. One of the things the Lord spoke to me not too long ago, because I, I've been I've been seeking the Lord about some things, and, and I've I got to tell you, the Lord said some things to me about this year that just have got me... Um, Now, I don't know, really, he just encouraged me with some things that he said. And so, of course, I'm just like you. I get my eyes on the things that excite me, and and that's all I want. You know, let's do this, let's do that. Let's, you know, let's, let's just have this all the time. And God doesn't want anything all the time except steadiness, you know, faithfulness. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Mike, healing school is not always supposed to be you laying hands on the sick. Healing school is not always supposed to be healing miracles. Sometimes healing school is just you encouraging somebody to keep going. I never had thought about that. Never had thought about that. But I know in situations where I've dealt with people over periods of time, I know in situations where I've dealt with, uh, well, my thing I'm thinking about is my mom. When she was diagnosed with cancer, I'd call her every day. And most of my talking with her was not telling her something she didn't know. She already knew the word. Most of my talking with her was just encouraging her. Now, mom, remember, here's what the word says. Let's say it together. Most of the time that I talk to her, 90%, maybe more, of the times that I talk to her, and I talk to her every day, was just encouraging her. You can do this. The word's true. You know you have faith. You've seen God do different things for you. You know your faith works. You know it's working now, no matter what the devil tells you. Just hang in there. Stay with it. Sometimes that's the thing people need the most. We don't think about that too often when we think of healing, do we? That's exactly what Paul's doing with the church. Don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't let the devil wear you out. I know it's hard sometimes. I know you get tired. I know you can get weary. But don't quit doing the right thing. And the context that he's talking about, at least in our application, is don't get tired of speaking God's word. Because it is the power of God to heal you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is more than enough for us. There is abundant power and provision in your word. Thank you, Father, that nobody has ever gone down standing on your word. Nobody has ever failed because of your faithfulness. Nobody has ever failed to receive, other than the ones we have record of in the Bible, about the Old Testament patriarchs that had a promise that it wasn't time to fulfill. I'm talking about promises that belong to us because of the finished work of Jesus. Nobody has ever failed to receive when they were standing on the promises in faith. Thank you, Father, that we shall not fail to receive either. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not fail us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but it's forever established in us. And because we accept it as truth, Father, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Your healing truth is established for us. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for directing our paths. Ordering our steps. If there's something we need to do differently, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing it to us. But Father, your word is enough. Your word is enough. We release our faith to you, Father. And we count on your faithfulness to bring it to pass. We rest in you, Father. We rest in you, Jesus, as our healer. The unchanging one. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We declare that we're healed by the stripes that you took upon your back. We declare that the healing power of God is at work in our bodies. We declare that your righteousness goes before us and your glory is our rear guard. We declare... That the healing power of God flows through our veins. Renewing every cell of our body and permeating every fiber of our being. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. It's not going to be someday. It is ours now. It's a finished work. And because we believe we have entered into your rest. The promise is ours. That which you promised belongs to us. It may yet be unseen. But it's just as real as if we could see it and touch it. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.